You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Who We Are, What We Do, based on Matthew 16, 18, recorded on Sunday, January 28, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. So, uh... Why are there churches? By the way, if you're a first-time guest, hello, welcome to Harvest. My name is Mike. Um, why are there churches? Why do they exist? I was going to try to fake like I didn't have a cold, um, but if you're hearing it in my voice, that's all it is. Hopefully, it'll, it'll smooth out as we go. I don't want it to be a distraction. Well, if you're a first-time guest, I just normally have this really cool gravelly voice. <laughs> so, why do churches exist? Why are they there at all? Why should Christians congregate? Um, I want to talk about that, uh, really just talk about direction for our church. And it's not really a new direction at all. Uh, It's just a defined direction. Uh, So we're going to take notes right now in your map. Here's, Here's your question and answer. What are churches supposed to do and why are they here? Who are you and what are you doing here? What are they supposed what they're supposed to do is grow themselves in health and size. Churches exist to build themselves up in a sense. At least that's what they do. But why are they here? To be the object of God's unmeasurable love. Why does the church exist to be the object of God's affections? Um, I, I once heard someone say the church is the only institution that exists for the good of its non-members. And that's not right. It's just not right. Um, I knew it wasn't right when I heard it, but it took me a while to figure out why it wasn't right. Because if the church exists simply for the benefit of its non-members, that means the church exists simply to go out and bring the good news to, of Jesus Christ to the lost. What you're neglecting is the church itself. And you're also making it utilitarian. Whatever, if you can practically get the message out, that's why the church is there. God needed some workers. And so they had to get a message out, so you're his workers. We're not even the most efficient workers. If you've ever been in a college fellowship and met people from Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, those people are way more efficient at getting the message of Christ out than any church I've ever seen. Because they... They pressure all their students to make sure they're sharing Christ with everything, with every person, with every child, with every rock. You know, they, they, they preach to animals walking by. Whereas the regular church is not so easy to motivate. So the, the church doesn't simply exist for the benefit of the lost. It exists so that God can shower his affection on it. God is creating something to love. The New Testament of the Bible, right, from Matthew on to Revelation, is the main code book for how to plant and grow healthy churches. The first four books, the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, describe who our Savior is, Jesus. They tell his story and how he came from heaven, lived, died, and rose again. The next book is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And that demonstrates how his closest guys 
planted the early church and many congregations. And then after that, all the rest of the books are coaching and encouragement to local churches. How to maintain their health, how to continue on and not die out, how to get it right. The church exists to bring glory to God, but our task is to build ourselves up. The church does not exist to build the government. Uh, throughout history, churches made that mistake, right? When, when the Roman church ran the governments, things didn't go well for the church. Christianity was compromised, right? The church is not made to run governments or create governments. The church is not made to, to build and help outside organizations. Um, the church is not made to, to bless communities. It can bless communities, it can improve government, and it, it can help organizations, but it's not made for any of those. It should never take its mission and make it subservient to, to any other system. The church exists to build itself up. In one sense, it can be seen as a very selfish organization. Why are we here? To build ourselves. That's why we're here. But it's not a closed system. That's why it's not self-indulgent. It's not closed. The, the, the way you grow a church is you add humans to it. And the, and the pool of humans that you're looking at are people who aren't members of the church. In that sense, the church is the most beneficial institution to people not members of it. I wouldn't say it exists simply for people not mentioned who aren't members, but there's nothing more beneficial than Jesus' church to the people of our counties where we operate in. And you say, well, I don't see how that can be. I mean, you got police. They're very beneficial. I agree. Can't live without police. You have firemen. Yeah, they're very beneficial. You have people who take care of stray dogs. They help. You have people who help battered women. They help. All those are good. But only the church is the entrance to eternal life. The church can bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and change lives forever and ever. So we're not a closed system. In fact, we invite everyone in. (laughs) We invite everyone in. Our immigration policy is wide open (laughs) as a church. No borders. Um, We do have illegal immigrants and legal immigrants in the church. Illegal immigrants are those who refuse to, to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that, you can't be a part of the church if you won't submit to his lordship eventually. But you can come and watch what we do till you decide you want to immigrate into this church. Leave the world, come into us. And that's our goal. We want to do that, one of our goals. So with that in mind, I want to give you Harvest's vision statement. The vision statement of Harvest is meant to guide our leaders and our members and even those who aren't members or leaders, but just like to be here. This is our guide. Now, our leaders better be guided by it, because if they don't lead the way, other people won't be. But I think you'll find at Harvest, an awful lot of people get this message, and they're devoted to this vision, who aren't necessarily the official leaders of the church. But here's the vision. To increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. That's our vision. It does not change. We are not going to change it. Um, it, it's, if, you come, if you go away and come back in a year, it's still the vision. Why? Because it's, an, it's, a, it's a goal we have until the Lord comes back. 
the, the health, every church, every congregation, every local church, just like every human individual body, and just like every human family, must attend to its own health, right? Now, all of you here attend to your own health. Some of you attend to it more than others. Some of you are absolutely freaky healthy, okay? And I like healthy people around me, provided they're not preachers of freaky healthiness. Because <laughs> I really don't want every time I'm putting a french fry in my mouth, someone reminding me how much sodium's on the doggone french fry. But what I do appreciate about the person who does that is he's thinking about his own health. We all must think about our If you don't think about your health at all, your teeth are rotting, you're not moving, your, your heart is strained, um, your, your life isn't any good, right? You, you have to think about your health, and you do. I think all you get an A, because I'm guessing all of you brushed your teeth today. If some of you didn't brush your teeth, you get a C, okay? <laughs> but it's common sense. People look after their own health. They're taught that by their parents from a young age. Clean yourself, put on clean clothes, get out for your butt and exercise, do a little work, Look out for your mental health, your physical health. If you don't look out for your health, no one will. Same with your family. Families, are, they're like cars. Well, they're not completely like cars, but they're like cars in this way. If you don't maintain that car, it's not going to last very long. Uh, a family does not stick together unless the members of the family work on family health. They don't call it family health, but that's what it is. They learn to communicate better, to love better, to forgive better, to say I'm sorry more, to enjoy each other more, and to do the things that lead to healthy family. The exact same thing is true of churches. Churches uh, are on a spectrum of health, and they will not remain or grow unless the people in them work at health. You can't ever say, well, we got a healthy church. Whoa! Gosh, one of these days I'm going down. The older, I've never fallen off the stage. My last church, it was, a, it was like a three-foot drop. There wasn't any steps. I need some sort of visual clue because I don't even know I'm doing that. The older you get, you know, the more you toddler. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going down. <laughs> but you can't just say, hey, I have a healthy church. It's healthy. That's it, and it stays healthy. If you don't work at it, it's going to slip. We must grow. Some people don't like that part. They feel pressure under being told the church must grow. They say, well, doesn't God love little churches? Sure he loves little churches. <laughs> and, and just because you're growing big doesn't mean you're healthy. I agree. You can fill a stadium in Houston if you just have big teeth, nice hair, and give fluffy messages. We see it on TV. So yeah, you could be big and not healthy. However... If you don't seek to grow, two things will happen. First, you'll cease to be. Because you're not trying to grow, so you don't grow. You don't become welcoming. You forget about needing other people in your midst. Right? And you will eventually die. And many, many, this land is dotted with church buildings with 20 people in them. Why are there 20? They once had a heyday. Some of them in there can remember that heyday. What happened? They didn't think about growing. The second thing that happens is you lose the love of Christ for the lost. You lose touch with your Savior who died for me when I was lost, died for you when you were lost. Grow. Now, here's another reason people have trouble with growth. They say, well, the Bible says one man waters, 
One man plants, another man waters, but God gives the increase. Well, that's exactly true. So you can't save anyone's soul. God does. That's exactly right. Should our, should our vision statement be, our vision is for God to increase the health and size of, of our church? Well, it could be, but it leaves out one part. Even though God is the power for the health of the church, he is the power of the salvation of souls, he requires the church to work. This is a, a principle that's all through the New Testament. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. The, the deal is we have the same vision as him. That's what we want. And we work hard to bring that vision about. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. You Pray like everything depends on God, because it does, but then you work like everything depends on you. And that's God's requirement. He says, pray the Father that more laborers go into the harvest. Well, what do the laborers do? Go out in the harvest and go, okay, God, plant the field. No. So if our vision doesn't match his vision, it's the wrong one. So health and growth in the church are a collaborative effort. You and God working together. By the way, you can see that this smashes a consumer-driven model of church that most of us grow up thinking that's what we're supposed to have. In other words, I go to see what I can get out of this. You don't go thinking, I'm here for the good of the organism. I'm here for the good of the other people who show up. You don't think that way, naturally, because that's not how Americans think. We think, I come and what do I get? God turns that around. You're supposed to build the church. And so we should reach out. Where should we reach out? Well, we should definitely reach out in Indiana, Pennsylvania. We should definitely reach out in the Petroleum Valley. We should definitely reach out in Freeport. And we should definitely reach out in Catanning area. Why? Because that's the four places we meet. Well, how much farther should we reach out? <laughs> well, there are other towns. <laughs> if, we, if we just thought of one town, we never would have ended up in the Petroleum Valley. Right? And there are more countries. We say, well, you can't reach everything. Question, how far should a local church reach? Try to reach with the gospel. The answer is simple and wide open, which I like. It makes it creative. How far should the church reach? As far as it possibly can without harming its health. That's the answer. Right? You, there's always that guy in the neighborhood who fixes everybody's car but his own wife's. He, he, he's always ready to help build everybody's house and fix everybody's washing machine, but not his own homes. He's there for other people's kids, not his kids. Well, he's reaching out. Isn't that wonderful? It's really not so wonderful because he's reaching out so much he sacrifices the health of his home. That's his only limit, though. Once he's taking care of them, he should do good deeds for his neighbors. Same with the church. So, where do we get this vision? The answer is the Bible. I'm not going to give you all the texts, but I'm going to give you a couple seminal texts. Seminal meaning uh, foundational. Um, but our vision must come from the Bible or we don't want the vision. Because the Bible says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain. So I don't want to work on a vision. And I don't want to invite other leaders to work with me. And I don't want to invite you to work with me unless it's what God wants. So what's the Bible say? A couple of seminal texts. One is Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter. That's not you. You're not Peter. You might be Peter, but you're not this one. 
And on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter had just made the great confession of the Christ. Jesus is wandering around doing ministry all over Israel. And people are trying to figure out, who is this miracle worker? Should we respect him or not respect him? Should we follow him or not follow him? Who is he? And he asks, who do people say I am? And they give him some answers. And then, and then he says, who do you 12 say I am? And Peter says, well, pfft. He, he, he gets this one. He goes, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus points at him and goes, bingo. It doesn't really, but it's like that. Right. You win the prize. You're exactly right. Peter, your name's Peter, but it's on this rock. Peter means stone. Your name is stone, but it's on that rock that just came out of your mouth that I'm building my church. The church is built on the declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ of the Jews. We are not a religion that plays nice with other gods. Um, on, if you were to go to heaven and look at God's bumper sticker on its car, it says, Jesus doesn't coexist. Right? We crush other gods. That's what we do. You know, we say, nope, 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 nope. Jesus is the son of God. Well, that's not very nice. It really is nice. It's really kind to tell people the truth. God came to earth and revealed himself. That's what the church stands on. We're centered on Jesus. We're all about Jesus. We're Jesus freaks. One of my pet peeves, and I'm not saying it's bad, but one of my pet peeves when people end prayers saying this, Lord, we pray in your name, amen. I always go, well, whose name? What if Krishna is, is my Lord? What if Buddha is my, could you Christians just not be so afraid of the J word? J, 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 Jesus, say it everywhere. When you're at work, and you're telling your testimony, don't say, then I receive God in my heart. Because God could be anybody. Say the J, 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 J word. Say Jesus. See, see what happens. See what happens. Boldly get used to the name. Because that's what we're founded on. That's our rock. He says, on this rock, I'm going to build this church. So he is the builder. He's the health giver. He's the growth giver. He's going to build a church. And it's going to endure I mean, he gives an extreme example. Hell itself, the, the grave is hell, death, right? He doesn't really define what the gates of hell is here, but think the grave, think death. Death will end up and screw up your whole organization. If you're a member of a club in town, any club, it could be a soccer club, a social club, a civic club, a sorority, a fraternity, pick your club, and all the members die, your club's over. It's really hard to have a meeting when you're all dead. Church never dies. <laughs> every club, every country, every tribe, every nation, every Facebook group, every sewing circle, <laughs> every... every uh, Help me, team, every league, um, every corporation on the earth, every nation will cease. They'll stop being one day. But the church of God 
will outlive the earth. Jesus has been building it for 2,000 years. And he has the power over every member so that spiritually they never die and physically when he returns, he raises them up. The church is the only institution that endures everything. Now think about that for a minute. If the only institution that endures is the one Jesus plants, his church, and it's the only one, how much of your life, blood, sweat, and tears is devoted to building something that's not gonna last? Now we have to live in this world, and it's okay to be members of a club, (laughs) but even a membership in a club or an association of professionals, or governing a nation should be done under the lordship of Christ, so your purpose there is to build the church. Because that club is not going to be here long. What Jesus builds lasts forever, and we are not just to sit there like lumps. We're his co-workers. In Ephesians 5, we learn that the church of Jesus Christ is called his bride. And he loves her. He makes her beautiful. You know, he, we're not the bride he doesn't want. We're not Leah, right? Wow, I wish I had Rachel, but we're stuck with these slobs. You know, we're the bride he wants, the bride he's made beautiful, the bride he adores. So the, the next seminal text I want to go to is the very end of time. And I'm going to skip all the ones in the middle for the sake of time. But if we start with Jesus declaring, I will build my church, let's look at Revelation, which shows us after all the great things of the earth have fallen, let's see the church. And here she is in Revelation 19. It says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. That's in verse 6 of Revelation 19, if you're a note taker like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, let's exult and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. If you're not familiar yet with Christianity, that's okay. There's some imagery here. The Lamb is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's called a Lamb because the Jews would take a Lamb and they'd lay their sins figuratively on it and slay it as an offering for sin. But Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the sinless man who was slain on your behalf. And so it says the, this is the bride of the Lamb. That's the church. She's made herself ready. Well, brides make themselves ready. I have, um, uh, my youngest is getting married in May. And, you know... If, if guys planned everything about a wedding, we'd need like a week. And it would it'd be fun. Maybe two weeks because we have to make some appointments, right? How long do you have to plan for what you're going to wear? How long do you have to plan for what the bridesmaids are going to wear? You have to buy a book bigger and heavier than the Bible that costs like $500, and it's a magazine. It's like that thick, and it says, like, brides on it. And then you've got to buy another one, and you've got to look at them all, and you've got to watch 85 episodes of Say Yes to the Dress. <laughs> then we worry about who's going to do our hair, and who's going to do our nails, and can we all do them together? Brides make themselves ready, and then they worry, am I going to fit into this dress? 
They'll go on the Atkins diet. So it's, and, that, and women have always been this way. It was the same in Jesus' day. The bride just doesn't roll out of bed and slop herself into the wedding. Well, all of human history was getting ready for this wedding. And you are the bride. It says, the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. And look what it says. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Your righteous deeds. And that means every Christian, the Christians who lived in 100 AD, 500 AD, 700 AD, 1,000, 1,500, or 2,018 are constantly contributing to the preparation of the bride through their good deeds done in the name of Jesus. Right? And then the angel said, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So at the beginning, he said, I'm going to build my church at the end, we see a vision. He does it. What happens in the middle? What we call history. Okay? What happens in the 21st century, in the, first, in the second decade? It's called you. You're here, and you're here now. And what is your job to contribute to that future day? Right? To use your life for that future day. To build his church here. It's funny because he built his church in, the, in a war zone. <laughs> There's enemies inside the church. They come in and teach false things and try to tear everything up. There's enemies outside the church, always oppressing and fighting and sometimes martyring and killing. And, and, but this is where he does it. In regular human history. And what's our vision then? It's the same as his. We want to build the health and size of God's church everywhere because we know our destiny. That's why it's a vision. It's not just a cute little saying that we threw onto the church. It it took hard work to try to put into one sentence what Jesus wanted to do. (laughs) It wasn't hard for him. It's hard for us. Okay, so then how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, every sermon, every Sunday school class, every mission trip, everything is how to do that. But to take the big building blocks, there's three values, okay? So you know our vision, increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Our values are three that we share with Jesus <laughs> that, that I, I think you'll, I could argue, encompass what it means. And they popped up already. Hi, Dave. Dave, um, love one another is number one. Number two is walk with God. And number three is seek the lost. Love one another, walk with God, seek the lost. I asked all the leaders, um, if you've been going to Harvest for a while, you say, wait a minute, we never had these values spelled out. I know. Um, The more we grow, the more we see a need to learn to communicate better. And so, um, really you have vision, you have values, and you have a mission and then you have goals. That's, that's how you could run anything. And you could change those names if you don't like those names, but that's what they are. So our vision has always been, has been the same for a long time, but there are certain values we live by, and it's time for us just to articulate them. So I asked all the leaders of the church to memorize, or all the staff, to memorize these three things. 
and our vision. I want them to be able to say, we exist to increase the health, or we increase the health and size of God's church everywhere is our vision, but our values are we love one another, we walk with God, and we seek the lost. All right, then there's our mission. I didn't ask them to memorize that. It's too long, but they can. Our values, love one another. The church has one law. You know, we're not under law, we're under grace, but still Jesus brings out this one command. What is it? Love one another. More important, I'll say it by illustration. When I went to First Baptist Church of Union to be the pastor, I'm in a Baptist church, and Baptist churches can be awesome, and they can be not awesome. They could be fundamentalist, they could be charismatic, they could be liberal, and they could be conservative. They're all over. So if you think you know what the Baptist church is, you don't, unless you've been in a lot of them. (laughs) But one thing I do know that they all have in common is people dread the business meetings. Because they all vote on things, so they got to get together on a monthly basis (laughs) and fight. And I determined when I went there, we aren't going to fight at the business meeting. And if I couldn't stop fighting at the business meeting, I wasn't going to be the pastor there. Because I couldn't take the idea that on a Sunday morning, we all come together, we sing the same songs, we worship the same God, we pray the same prayers, we hear the same word of God, but then some reason, on a Wednesday night in the church fellowship hall, we thought it's okay to treat each other like dirt. And we never had a fight there. You know, because when the pastor gets his moment and he just nags you about loving one another, you're like, this guy ain't going to shut up about this. Let's just, I would rather get no business done and be kind to each other than get a lot of business done and fight it out. Because what you accomplish as a church is, always has to take second place to how you treat one another as you accomplish it. Because we're not to be like the world. We follow Christ. This is what he said the night that he was betrayed. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. <laughs> well, love one another. You know, it brings to, to mind your mother saying, could you two stop fighting? Or my case, my mother's case, could you five stop fighting? (laughs) Can't you be nice to each other, your brothers, for goodness sake? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, love one another with me as your pattern. Not me, Jesus, as your pattern. Well, Jesus' pattern is one that's pretty hard to match. He never sinned against anyone. And when push came to shove, he put his own body in between the wrath of God and those he loved. And he says, that's what I want you guys to do for each other. You know, churches normally aren't challenged on this because just pastors don't (laughs) expect people to actually obey that. They expect you guys to wave at that supposed to be good. I'm nice to people. We don't expect you would treat people who aren't your blood brothers and blood sisters like brothers and sisters. And, and that's a failure of faith of pastors. I expect you to. Now, I don't expect perfection. You're like me. <laughs> but that's what we're to strive for first. 
you know, people always talk about love and they forget about holiness. You can't have holiness without love. People are talking about love in the church. What about you need some law? No, you don't. You have grace. If you don't have love, what does Paul say you are? You're just a strange noise. You're a waste of time. You're a waste of skin, Paul says. He doesn't say that because he doesn't think of those cool phrases. He says, if I give my body to be burned but have not love, I'm nothing. I'd say waste of skin, but I'm not Paul. There's a reason why God didn't let me write any of the Bible. Jesus threw in again on that very same night. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I loved you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. John 13, 35. (laughs) That's quite a challenge. The proof of your discipleship is the way you treat other Christians. If people had to look at the way you treat other Christians, I'm not talking everybody, just how you treat other Christians, and that was their only measure, would they say you're a follower of Christ? That's the goal. That's the goal. Jesus had these religious guys, the Pharisees, they did all the religious things right. At least in front of other people, they were holy. They didn't drink or chew or go with girls who do. You know, they did everything right and they were clean from top to bottom, never missed a Saturday church and synagogue, remembered all the verses and can quote the Bible to you backwards and forward. Jesus looked at them and said, you're a bunch of whitewashed graves. You're like a glass that's clean on the outside and has filth on the inside. You can be as religious as you want. If you don't love, you're not displaying Christ. So first of all, of all as we love one another. But since the standard is love like Jesus loved, that means the cross is the beginning. To understand the cross is the entrance into the church. To understand that the greatest, the Bible says this, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The way God demonstrates his love for you isn't all those nice sunny days and falling in love and ice cream sandwiches and blue skies. It's sending his son to die on a cross to pay the price for the sins you committed. That's our standard of love. Have you received the love of Christ? If you haven't received the love of Christ, you don't have to try to love one another. You're not in the church. Have you received him? Have you let him wash your feet? How embarrassing is that? Or do you go and say, look, Jesus, I'm being as good as I can to show you I'm yours. That's a waste of your time. It it works completely differently. I'm going on a mission trip to show you I'm yours. I go to church all the time to show you I'm yours. Nope. Let me wash your feet. That's what he wants. You have to receive from me. Not me, him. (laughs) Second, we walk with God. First value, we love. It's all over the Bible. Second value, walk with God. That's also all over the Bible. You have to have your own relationship with God that you're constantly feeding. Micah 6.8. 
He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The Christian life is one of closeness with a person named God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. That's close. Prayer and breathing go together. Right? It's good to have extended times of prayer, but any thought you think he's in you, hearing, so why not, instead of keeping a running conversation with yourself, which we all do, why not keep a running conversation with your God? He goes with you everywhere. To be a Christian is to copy him. It's to desire him, to want him more than anything. To love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, that's who you are, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Your, everything. I want to be close to him every day, every minute. I want to grow. You can't grow without knowing his word. But notice that in that Micah passage, walking close with God means you behave in a righteous manner. You do justice, you love mercy, you don't cheat people, you're not mean to people, you're not rude to people, you're polite, you're a gentleman or lady, you're kind and you do the right thing. Because God's right there with you. Uh, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, Right? He suffered for you out of what emotion? Love. So that's your example, so that you could follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. There's a holiness to walking in his steps. The Christian life is walking behind Jesus, and it's not always easy, but fortunately it's only one foot at a time. You don't have to solve your whole life right now. You just have to know where to put your next foot down. You know, there's that famous poem, footprints. And as much as I like the sentiment of that, it has a major error. You know that footprints? I looked in the sand and there were two cents of prints, me and God walking together, chilling like buds. And, and then, uh, then I noticed there's only one set of prints at the hardest times of my life. And, and then I got to heaven and say, God, how come you left me during the hardest times of my life? Oh, don't worry, I carried you. That's sweet and all that crap. <laughs> That's why I also don't write Hallmark cards. I'm not sentimental enough. <laughs> Don't write the Bible and they don't write Hallmark cards. But it's not accurate. There should be one set of prints all the time. His and you trying to put your foot. He makes you walk. He doesn't pick you up. He just says, stand behind me and put your feet where mine are and you're gonna make it through this hard time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for thou art with me. Life is tough. Stay close to the shepherd. According to Jesus, look how close we are to walk with him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's close. (laughs) That's close. He is the vine and here I am a branch and my little leaves. Me connected to the vine. I'm getting my sap from him. I'm getting the the water from the ground. If his feet weren't in the ground, I don't get any water. That's pretty close. Whoever abides, that means lives in me, and I live in him, 
he it is that bears much fruit. So I can work for you, Jesus, to build the health inside your church. Yes, you can. Just walk real close to me. You will bear fruit. I'll make it happen. <laughs> but look at this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You, you, you can't do it without me. Stick close. That's for every leader and every first day Christian and everyone in between. And then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it'll be done. Even my prayer life, my prayer life depends on walking with God, closeness with God. I'm like a branch. You're like a branch. At harvest, we seek walking close with God. That's what it means to be a disciple. We serve together. We go on mission trips together. We worship together. We pray together. We learn the Bible together. We have really long sermons <laughs> because we really believe that if we will together listen to the word of God preached, we'll stay close to God. We teach each disciple that he gives up his own life. Walking close to God means death to the self. It's not consumer driven. <laughs> God, uh, let, Jesus, let me follow you. Uh, but first, let me go bury my, my relative. Let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus, this is a little heavy. You're asking for quite a commitment. Can I have a 90-day trial period? I mean, I mean, if I buy a bed, they give me 100 days of sleep, and I can send it back. He says, no, how about this? From the day you want to follow me, you take up your cross and die. Because unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. If you want to be with me, you die, and then it bears fruit. Third, so we love one another, we walk close with God, and third, we seek the lost. Can't forget that half. That third, <laughs> never, not cool. I don't write math textbooks either. Three things I don't write, the Bible, Hallmark cards, or math textbooks. <laughs> Can't forget that third. God loves the lost and he wants them to join his flock. And if you're a Calvinist and you can't figure out which ones he loves or if you're an Arminian and you certainly loves them all or anywhere in between, I don't care. He loves them. And he wants them to join them. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but they would repent and be saved. John 10, 16, Jesus says this. Using the metaphor of sheep and shepherd, for us to follow. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold is a flock. Okay, the flock is Israel, right? Bunch of Jews. Got a bunch of Jews in Israel. That's where they kept them back then. <laughs> Actually, they were scattered all over the world. But there were a lot of Jews in Israel, just like there are now. Around here, we keep them in Squirrel Hill and Shadyside. Um <laughs> I don't know why. That's where they stay. <laughs> Jews of a feather. Um, in any case. <laughs> so he says, I have sheep that are not of this fold. The metaphor is, I have people who aren't Jews. I love the Jews. I came first to Israel. I am a Jew. You're Jews, he said to his apostles. But it ain't just for us. And, and it, I got to bring the others also. They have to hear my voice. So we'll be one flock, one shepherd. Beautiful picture because Jesus didn't leave Israel. 
which meant his voice had to go to all the other Gentile nations. And if you look at the book of Acts, you'll see that God pushed them out of Israel so that they could bring the word to all the pagans who were my great-grandparents and yours, most likely. Since he didn't go, how does someone who's not, how does people hear his voice? They're sent. The church is the only one who will send them. Go and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. He wants his voice heard in all lands. He made this explicit in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Don't leave any out baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, teaching them to walk closely with me and love one another, and behold, I'm always with you, even at the end. The apostles are not going to bring the gospel in 2018 to anyone in Pakistan because they died. They're up in heaven. So every... The church is always responsible for its generation of lost folks. And if you're in Catanning, Indiana, Freeport, and the Petroleum Valley, you're responsible first for the lost people closest to you. But after that, you're responsible to do whatever your part is to reach everybody, no matter where in the world they are. Going back to our vision to increase the health and size of God's church, comma, we put everywhere because we didn't want people to forget that you can reach the ends of the earth from western Pennsylvania. Our vision, to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. Our values, love one another. Walk with God, seek the lost. And I'm asking you, I asked you many years ago, some of you weren't here then, to remember that we're here to increase the health and size of God's church. And many of you got that. Now I'm asking you to add to that three simple phrases so that you can keep a barometer, a test. (laughs) Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I valuing what I'm supposed to value? Love one another, walk with God, seek the lost. And now our mission Our values should never change because they're based on the Bible. Our mission can change, right? Mission is what we actually get to do. Our mission, for example, is not plant churches in Michigan. We haven't planted a single church in Michigan. We love the Christians in Michigan. We're willing to plant churches in Michigan, but we've never ever thought that we ought to go to Michigan and plant churches. Where the real pagans live is Ohio. (laughs) Especially around Columbus. But God hasn't sent us there yet. I pray God never send us to Columbus or France. That's all I ask. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Hey, Jonah didn't want to go somewhere. I'm going to end up on a boat to France. Um, So what is our mission? What has it been and what is it still? Here we go. We will expand plant and grow elder-led campuses in Pennsylvania while investing in world missions in order to increase the number of believers 
that have access to a healthy church. That access to the healthy church matters to us. We don't just want people to get saved. Because someone who just gets saved but doesn't have a church is orphaned. The goal is to build the church. So that means if you, we feel responsible to, to, as best we can, help people who are planting churches in other lands and getting folks saved so they can go to those churches. Elder-led, why is that in there? The shepherds of God are either doing a good job or a bad job, but the church goes the way the shepherds go. It's a biblical reality. It's a biblical fact. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I was just reading today, there's this guy, Hananiah, back in uh, Jeremiah's time, who came out and said, don't worry, Israel, God has told me he's going to get rid of these Babylonians and bring Daniel and the boys back. He's going to do it in two years. And everyone loved him. Oh, what a good preacher. Then Jeremiah came and said, no, God said he didn't say that. And because you're lying about God, he's going to kill you. And Hananiah died. False teachers, bad teachers means bad flock. (laughs) So we, all our campuses, the most important thing about them to us is that they have shepherds who love Jesus, are in the same vision as us, who are caring for the flock. We don't just want a video screen and a, and a gang. So it's elder-led. God will raise up his elders. <laughs> Jesus says he's going to build his church. Church means assembly. And all the other words he uses, you know, church is assembly, uh, his, his, his congregation, his household, his body, It's a collection of people, but it's also a flock. And he's the good shepherd, and there's always under shepherds. Anyway, that's why we're elder-led. 2018 is the 20th year as a church here. I don't know if any of you in any of the campuses have been here all 20. I've been here 13 now. Well, 13 as of March 1st. Um, I don't believe in luck, so I don't think it's been an unlucky year. Want to have a nervous breakdown? Go have have it in your 13th year. What the heck? (laughs) Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. (laughs) 20 is not a very old church. God has blessed us. We used to have one meeting place. The founders took risks and built our meeting place. Then we got to two services in that meeting place that we couldn't seem to get more people to come to than we had. So boom, Petrolia Valley. And we sent away one of our leaders and some of our families. And then God refilled the seats in Catanning. And then boom, Indiana. And we sent away one of our leaders and some of our families. And God refilled the seats in Catanning. So recently Freeport, a congregation says, would you take us? We don't. We want you, okay. So we sent away one of our leaders, some of our families, and God refilled. So we started Friday night in Catanning. Thought, we'll trick God, we'll do another service. <laughs> you can't trick him. He filled in the Sunday morning, and now Friday night, 
is actually when I'm talking to you if you're at the campuses, we recorded this on Friday nights. We sent three families to India. Big deal for a church to do that. I am certain that much of the spiritual battles that I go through and this church goes through is because we shook Satan's cage by sending, sacrificing to send families right into the heart of darkness where there's 25 million people and not a one church. It's a small beginning. Some folks have gotten saved. Churches are starting. It's small. But it's from the tiniest acorn the mighty oak tree grows. In all these, we focus on leadership. Are there men there who care for the flock? For us, our standard for missionary men is, would you be an elder here? Would you be a pastor here? And while doing these things, we continued to assist other missionaries who we didn't send. In many places, we involve our own people in mission work wherever we can, local outreach or across the world. Beyond that, we reach out in love in every way we can think of. We have a daycare center. We go to the jails. We have divorce care. We have addiction care. We help the poor and a thousand other things I'm not thinking of. All with one goal or one vision to grow the health and size of our church. This is who we are. This is what we do. I've tried to make it as clear as I can, but now it's on you. Is this your church? Now, if you're a first-time visitor, I'm not putting you on the spot. In fact, if you're a first-time visitor, what a day to come, because you get our heartbeat, and you go home and think about it. But especially those who've been here, are you with us? Or, or, or are you one of our janitorial staff who comes, not our paid, our volunteer janitorial staff, who comes and cleans the dust off our seats with your hind parts once a week? You're either one or the other. Right? Who's with us? Who here is with us? Your life is going to end too. If God stuck you in western Pennsylvania, take it as a blessing. It's not a, 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 it's not a, he's not mad at you. It's a great place to live. And he wants you to build the local church. If it's not harvest, get out. Go find a local church that is your flavor and build that one so that you have treasure in heaven, so that you're part of that bride. I'd rather you say, nope, Harvest sounds good to me. We say, come on in and join us. The water is fine. Who's with us? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.